Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Andrew Lees. Andrew has been working in the electronic music industry for the last decade, working on conferences, uh, working with artists, and working with as a journalist in news publications. But his main focus is marketing. And what he discovered just this summer, like many people did, is the landscape is very different with COVID. And there is no book, as he'll say in this episode, there is no book that will teach you how to navigate COVID and navigate these times. So he saw an opportunity. He dove in. He started taking the principles from other marketers and how people were applying that to their areas. And he's applying it to the electronic music industry. And he's created a platform called Socially Sound. And in just a few months, he's already building up his customer base. He has members that he is working with in a one-on-one or one-to-many basis, depending on the scenario. But I really wanted to talk to him to to help showcase to you how someone can is starting a business exactly today. And Andrew has a really great tagline that I love. He his mission at Socially Sound is to help artists think more like marketers, one percent every day. So without further ado, I want to dive right into my conversation with Andrew Lees. I find Twitter so mad that someone you're Chicago, right? Uh huh. I find it mad that you can find me. I'm in a little town just outside of Manchester in the UK, and I find it so mad that you can just find me through the internet. Along, just find it so mad, like. Oh yeah, isn't it wild? I mean, we are so interconnected now. It's it's yeah. like never before, really. I wrote this article on what I learned about Twitter, and um, it was like basically in February. I was using Twitter for live sports updates because it used to be like I work in a job, I work in events. So it used to be like, right, what's the football scores or what's going on? And I used to follow lists and they're like, right, football score. And it would tell me who scored and I'd see the goal. And I just used to just use it like that. And then football disappeared and sports disappeared. And I was like, right, what can I use Twitter for? And I followed like, I unfollowed 3,000 accounts in two hours. I was just like, we'll get rid of it. And then I found Jack Butcher and I found Matt Kobach and I found all these marketers and I wrote an article on it about who I'd found, what I'd learned. And it got read in 15 different countries off one retweet with 7,000 followers. And I was just like, <laughs> how has my words been found in the Philippines? You know, yeah. like I found it insane. And like when I looked, when you popped up, I was like, do I do a podcast on entrepreneurial when I'm literally like three months into my business journey? But I was like, I've done a business before and then my girlfriend was just like, you know what? Like it's kind of like completely out of your comfort zone. Just go and do it. And then I looked at your YouTube and I was like, this is probably the best podcast produced podcast I'm ever going to do. So <laughs> like, let's do it and let's just like see what comes out of it. No, I appreciate your kind words. Background look, because I'm at my, I'm at my parents at the moment just uh-huh. because we're locked down and we're kind of like, um, so I've been like, where can I sit in my parents' house? It's got a nice background. So, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. Um, not on the bed now with my legs crossed at the moment. What was that? It's not on the bed with my legs crossed at the moment. <laughs> See, nice and comfy. That's how you do it, you know. <laughs> right. But yeah, I figured like seeing your growth and your journey. I love how you're documenting everything. You're very open on what you're doing. You're excited which is like you're in that stage where it's like so exciting when everything happens. And yeah, sharing that feeling and sharing your journey of my first customer, second, fourth, ninth. I think that's awesome. And I love following along with those stories. And that's a lot of why this podcast exists is to help show people just the many different paths to entrepreneurship and how they can take maybe their ideas and get rolling today. Whether someone has been running the business for a decade or like in your iteration, only a few months, I think, how long? Three months. Yeah, which I think that's really, and it's really valuable. So like you have a lot of insight into exactly what's happening right now and what's been working for you. So that's why I was excited to have you on here. Honestly, it's a pleasure. Like I'm so excited, can't wait. Yeah, so 
why don't we just dive right in and um, give a little backstory for the listeners, who you are, what you've been up to, and what you've done in the industry uh, prior to starting your business. Sure. Um, so I'm Andrew Lees. Um, I am in, from a very small place in the UK called Stoke-on-Trent, which um, is actually more famous for its theme park, Orton Towers. So we have the biggest theme park and we're in a really small country. But um, basically Stoke-on-Trent is a, a city with a massive music heritage. Um, I kind of missed it, but I got like close with a lot of friends who were like, oh, you missed this year, this DJ coming here just five years ago. And I got all these stories. So when I turned 18, 20, 21, and you start exploring different bigger nightclub clubs or warehouse raves or kind of what you might be really accustomed to from Chicago, like that city built the music that I literally love, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, a lot of these DJs, when like Todd Terry, Derek May, Jeff Mills from Chicago built the sound, they all come to the UK and I've kind of become into that industry. So from Stoke-on-Trent, I didn't, the only place you could really go in the UK to go and get into this career was London. And I was 23. How the hell am I going to afford London? <laughs> it was, that was seven years ago. So never mind what it was it's like then compared to now and how expensive it is. So I went to Ibiza and it was like going to Hollywood when you're 21 and you want to be a model or you want to be whatever you, an actor, right? So that was my version of let's go to Ibiza, let's go to Hollywood and let's just start from the rock bottom. So I started as a ticket seller. I um, basically used to offer groups of girls free bottles of drink to come onto the boat parties and then you'd supply the alcohol so they didn't have to spend any money. And that covered what they'd get on the boat. And it was basically that's how I first started. And then from Ibiza, I went from there to the top. And there's a platform called IB for Spotlight. And the only way I can describe IB for Spotlight to Americans is Time Out New York, Time Out Chicago, but for clubs, beach clubs, beaches, boat parties. So I did the digital for them for four years. Um, and when and you said then, the digital, what kind of things were you covering? So I started off as social, started off as their first ever social media manager. As a platform, they were so far ahead, SEO and everything like that, but they're social really need a lot of work they were like they had this really beautiful message on their website and they just weren't portraying it onto social so i came in and um changed everything from like right segmenting newsletters so you might have an artist fans that like david getter aren't gonna like music that todd terry will play totally different world so you can't be sending the latest techno party to someone that's just come to ib from gone to david getter just doesn't you're wasting emails Mm -hmm. so it was like right we've got tom dick and harry over here who like david getter and they've come every year the same week so you're not going to send them emails about coming at the beginning of the season because they've come for three years in august so the likelihood is they're going to come back in august right because that's the only time they can go on holiday maybe they're a teacher Mm -hmm. um so it was literally breaking down 10 years of data what's warm what's cold when did they buy a ticket and basically basically change their whole digital perspective about we create content for social media, but then what do we do for paid? Oh, how are we targeting David Getter fans with David Getter's latest news? And then how are we targeting them in an email to go, hey, you're staying, you've just bought a ticket to Pasha. How about you stay in a hotel 10 minutes walk away from Pasha? So you're just going down the funnel. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And like, that was my first step into the world of, I think, like professional marketing. And it was like, I did a sports degree. So this is like, none of this was what I saw. I got, I've learned all this by trade. Uh-huh. And yeah, get, so just a little different than the degree. In sports degree, yeah. what, what was the area? Like, I mean, was it journalism? Was it uh... coaching? Oh, gotcha. I did to do sports coaching. And then in my final year, Facebook pages became a thing. They became every brand is now on Facebook. Whereas in the first year of uni, it was like, oh, hey, Facebook, LOL. You know, the <laughs> early pages. Um, so third year, I discovered that I did sports coaching degree. But in the third year, when you do your dissertation, your final work piece, I discovered that like this was when Tiger Woods, John Terry all got caught out cheating. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they were on the front page and they were on the back page of the newspapers. And it fascinated me of how a football fan could cheer John Terry on a pitch for 90 minutes. 
he could score a goal and the world celebrates. But then on the back page, the front page of the newspaper, he's like, scum, cheated the wife, you know? And it was like, can you celebrate that guy if he scores? And that fascinated me. And that was my first step into writing, going into something different about sports. And then I went to Ibiza that summer after I finished my year and discovered that music journalism was like, oh, you get free tickets to go to events? Sign me up. Like, how can I save more money out here? Because I stayed out for the season. So, like, you go on holiday and you're like, why am I going back to Stoke-on-Trent when I can right. live on this beautiful island? Why? It's like your one friend moves to Hollywood, they go and visit, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm moving to Hollywood, and that's it. Done. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was, my, that was my, like, step. And it was like, right. I discovered, I met a couple of journalists who were just like, yeah, I've just gone and interviewed Tiesto or I've just gone and interviewed this DJ. And I was like, and you just do that as a job. And it's like, yeah. And they were so casual about it. Like when you've been doing something for so long, it's just like, yeah, this is, this is what I do. And I was like, I want to do this. And then I went home after that season, set up my own music blog, used social media and then realized that nobody was going to market this for me. So if I was going to do it, I had to learn. And I learned everything and seven years later. Yeah. And asking questions like that, asking the person who's interviewing someone that you respect and look up to, I think that's really valuable. It's almost, it's, um, I like to talk about apprenticeship and stuff sometimes on here and that's not an apprenticeship, but that's actually taking the, the step to figure out, okay, I'm here. I'd love to be doing what you're doing. How did you actually get there? What, what's the path between where I am and there? And so, yeah, I learned everything by doing and the way, like, I'm sure, you know, when you have a podcast, you've got, right, you've just a PR will all of a sudden just pop into your inbox and you're like, how did they find me or how have they like, but digital's made that so easy now. So like I used to get, I had this one PR from London and was like, Hey, I love your writing style. I'd love to invite your blog and you to my festival. And I was like, wow, I've just been invited to a festival and all I've got to go and do is write an article. <laughs> 500 words on a free weekend sound like uh -huh. sign i'll do this for free for the rest of my life um and then it just i got the bug and literally just like got knee deep into the industry and it's a very toxic and hard industry but like most industries are but when you realize the perks the like you get to do it i've lived at ibifa for four years nice two winters four winters and like why would I, I can't imagine just going and working in any other job, even if it's marketing, I can't, I've tried it. There's just no buzz of like, unless you're like selling big budget, big sale. Mm -hmm. Like there's just no buzz of like, oh, what did you go to that festival the weekend? Or like, oh yeah, I just, just went to my cinema and made a meal for my boyfriend. It's like, that's all you did with your weekend. <laughs> I went to a rave and I went to it and I was just like, just, it's really hard to like live in the normal bubble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it's another yeah. level of experience that you're having there. And it happens to also be the way you're making money, which is yeah. amazing. So let's fast forward a little bit. Then this year is when everything changed, obviously for everyone with COVID and 2020, what yeah. was your transition from that career into what you're doing now? So I'll go back to 2019 summer. Mm -hmm. um i got to a bit of a dark place and lost i lost one role a client that was probably like the biggest client i've ever got and i went to a bit of a sp dark space and i was like i had this idea right i wanted to build a network of creatives and i wanted to build this paid mark paid membership platform and i wanted to do case studies of what's happening in the marketing world and i because i lost the biggest client it was in london and it was like, I put it one side because you just had to get a job. Because if mm -hmm. you try and build a job in London, build a career in, or build a business in London, you have certain pressures that you have to reach. And I kind of put it on the back burner, kind of like, well, oh, why is anyone going to like this? No one's going to do this. No one's going to want this. Spoke to a couple of people, but were probably the wrong people and didn't go, you know what, mate, this is great. Go with it. So I went into another job. COVID happened. And then three weeks before the UK furlough deadline, so like you had to be employed by the twenty, the first of March, to qualify for furlough. I got hired into the, probably one of the best jobs I've ever ever got on the twenty fifth of February, which is actually only three days when you think that February finished on the twenty eighth this year. Yeah. So like 
three days ahead of the UK furlough deadline, I got hired to run the festival campaign for a platform called BPM Portugal. Now, BPM was in Mexico, got a bit of a drug war, and then it moved to Europe. Um, and then this is their third or fourth year, and I got hired to do the marketing for that whole festival. And I was like, wow, this is amazing opportunity. The festival never happened. And I was on furlough for four months. But then in July, um, I kind of found out the news that, you know, festivals are gone. Like, what? so I was like, right, what do I do now? So just in May, when I realized that I was going to lose this, and this was, this was more serious than we all thought it was going to be, I was like, right, I've got to start thinking of a plan. And so Socially Sound was born in May. And my first ever client was an artist who found me on Instagram, saw that I'd posted about a certain artist. He liked that artist too, and he trusted me. And my first paying client came from him going, right, I, and at the time I was still furloughed and contracted, so I couldn't do any work because it was breaching my contract. But what I basically did was like, right, I'll do your PDF, and you can download the PDF of this website. And that was basically how Social Sound was born. Um, and then it kind of just, evolved and that was when i went all in on twitter mm. i discovered jack butcher i discovered visualized value i discovered matt kobach i discovered jack appleby and then the gots and i was like right all these marketers are giving me so much value and the beautiful thing about covid right is you can't read a marketing book about what's happening right now because it's not been written yet exactly. it was like and then all of a sudden i was like right i'm going to start following twitter people who are dealing with COVID right now, mm-hmm. are dealing with what a brand has to say right now, and I'm going to build my business on what happens with COVID. So now, Socially Sound is basically, it's a network of creatives, but all the artists I'm speaking to now, it's not right, what do I do when I'm playing five gigs a week, festivals all around the world? It's right, what do I do now that when you go live on Facebook, you're competing with kittens, you're competing with... <laughs> cute puppy dogs you're now competing with the rest of the internet the the thing about events is your audience pays a ticket they come to see you for two hours and you take them away from the internet you take them away from all the like can i swear on a podcast oh yeah for sure (laughs) we're on youtube right takes away from all the shit that's happening in the real world that's Mm -hmm. what events do and they've now lost that and they've now got to go they go live and they have to now compete with Saturday Night TV, they've got to compete with YouTube where people are just watching David Dobrik videos or whatever they're watching, right? So now artists are in exactly the same situation as you as a podcaster, me as a marketer, we've all competing for this attention. So my business has actually benefited from COVID because now artists are like, shit, I've been playing 50 gigs a year, 120 gigs a year, but now I've not got anything for six months. What the hell do I do with my audience who are so used to coming to see me when you come to Chicago or LA, London, Berlin, Amsterdam, they've lost all that. So yeah, social sounds kind of benefited in a way because I've gone, right, what do artists need now? Mm-hmm. Forget what they need in six months. They What do they need now? And that's kind of where I've positioned myself as a consultant or as a social media manager or whatever they need that might be for six weeks because they're short of money or it might be go right i'm going to build my youtube channel from three thousand to ten thousand so that when the events come again i can go live on youtube or i can do something on youtube and it's going to get three times the viewership of what it would have if i don't do anything so yeah i mean you placed yourself right in the middle of what people need and you're using your own experience your own uh, building yeah. your own platform to to just get your rapid apprenticeship in this while you're helping other people like it's it's perfect you identified an opportunity i mean that's really what it comes down to it's a time when like you said there's no book for anyone let alone yeah. musicians on how to operate during covid because this is such a different time for any sort of public public figure who's an entertainer you're you're bringing mass pe- mass amounts of people together for these events creating experiences so how do you bridge that gap because yeah i'm sure so many people were just 
just frightened. I mean, to I guess to be blunt, that like yeah. everything's drying up. What do I do now? So yeah, placing yourself in that spot, in that middle ground learning and giving them the tools, providing them with the tools and also the guidance and um, the consulting is a wonderful spot to be. I love it. Yeah, so I think it's a really weird place because obviously I can evolve with where the industry goes. So if the events come back next week, I've got experience in events that when they're ready to go, we, we go. But when they're like, right, we've got to do another live stream or I've got this brand new single coming out. Normally a DJ's content is built on stage and put online. Whereas now they're having to build it offline completely by going and doing a stream. And like, there's a platform called Circler and it is taking live streaming to the next level. Like, this isn't just like do a live stream in your studio. This is do a live stream on the cliff of a mountain at sunset in Switzerland with acres of mountains around you. And an artist can go and play music that fits their surroundings. So it's not what club promoters want or it's not paying you because you're a techno DJ and you've got to play in a warehouse. Mm -hmm. How do I play music in a warehouse? You're going, right, I'm in the outdoors. I'm in the surroundings. What works here? Yeah. And you that artists can go out now and do something that's going to live on the internet forever. And they've got the opportunity now to just go like disclosure, who I'm sure you might have heard of massive artists. They've just teamed up with Amazon and circular to present this stream in Croatia's national parks, waterfalls, mountains, drones, helicopters, next level production lives on the internet forever. And like people are going to discover disclosure through a marketing funnel of attention we discovered disclosure through this platform of YouTube and we saw you guys play at the top of a mountain in Croatia with a waterfall backdrop. Like how insane is that compared to a sweaty nightclub lights, dark lights, smoke machines. Like <laughs> it's just, they can get so creative now, which is like, you think this is a bigger problem because they're not making income or playing in front of Coachella. Right. But actually like you can play in front of South America Australia, the UK, Berlin, Amsterdam, America, all at the same time now. If you go that big, and these artists have got fan base that are that big. So when you know you're going live, you tell them it's going to be live to these set times. And it's going to be like, it might be 1am to America, but it actually might be 5pm to London or whatever it would be. And like now they can reach the whole world. And like, if you think about that, rather than just thinking you're a DJ and you stay in this lane, then you can actually go so big now. And that's what's creative. It's fun as a marketer because you pitch that to an artist and like, you know what? You're right. Like I'm limited when I play in, 300, in front of a 300 people club. Whereas now you're playing to 3 million people if you have the audience, right? And that could live out there in perpetuity as well. I mean, you're yeah. playing for all these people live and then week after week, month after month, year after year, more people can come in from that one or many pieces of content, which that is something that do you feel or did you see that in the industry that people were sort of missing the boat on social before? Like, I know you were helping with that, but in terms of this um, sustaining content, maybe evergreen content. Yeah, I guess it's because they were so reliant on gigs. They never thought or had the time because they're going from different time zones four times a week. Like if an artist lives in Berlin, but he has to fly through America to get to Mexico and then come back from Mexico to New York to get back to London, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. And they're going through time. They're time traveling, essentially. If you think about it, they actually are time traveling. And I understand why they're all so exhausted. So yeah, they were missing the boat, but then like, it depends what you're marketing. If you're an artist who's just doing gigs because you've got no album coming out or you've got no releases coming out and you're just going touring, then like you are missing the boat a little bit because you're just doing the same, thi same thing. And now they're having to think so and prioritizing their socials where they were just so used to getting 15 grand a weekend from the big gigs that they were like, what, who cares about Instagram likes? Mm -hmm. Like, when you're generating that much money a month, like who cares how many video likes you get? Who cares how many records you sell on iTunes for 99p? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, so much to balance. It's yeah. really because you could just say, okay, I need to hit 
every social media platform. I need to be doing this. I need to be doing my shows. I need to be doing a uh, radio. I need to be doing all these different things, but yeah. knowing where to focus and having someone to guide them along the way is important. Where yeah. do you say, um, where would you say that artists are maybe where they should be focusing now? So you mentioned live stream. Are, yeah. I want to dive into Twitter and Twitter threads because it's some of the stuff I think you do really well. But I want to talk a little more about music and then um, yeah. dive in more to you. Um, but yeah, where do you think artists are missing the boat currently, like in the current climate, and they should uh, focus more attention? I think they should be looking at Spotify as a platform to get their music out there. So Spotify have changed the game a little bit. Normally, you used to be able to premiere your music on a music platform two weeks before it came out. Now Spotify is saying, we won't support you until the day of release. But if you get your music premiered somewhere else, we won't put you in the biggest playlists. So oh, they're making really? artists, well, they're, they're not kind of doing it, but they are kind of like, they haven't publicly come out in public and gone, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> they're nudging and nerdling and going, yeah, we'll support you, but we want first hit. We want to put you in the biggest playlist. So we take you from zero to a thousand, right? That used to normally be Pete Tong's job on Radio One. And it would be, right, this track is the biggest track in the world this week, which is a massive PR thing, right? But that track, you automatically believe that this is the biggest track in the world right now because Pete Tong's told you it is. Mm -hmm. So radio is a big thing. Get yourself on the radio, but go Spotify. So you can go out, you can release on a Friday at 9 a.m. and then get Pete Tong to talk about you on Friday night at 10 p.m. And that's 12 hours after the Spotify hit. So... Get your music in the right places. So whether you're an underground DJ and you want to get that on an underground radio station and they're going to give the music to them first after Spotify or go big and do like a live stream, but put your new single as the first track. So the first six minutes of your live stream is your new music. Have that in your description and use the live stream, which is what a lot of people are doing, you know, how they're engaging with artists now. And then that's going to be there forever. But then the first track is going to be the one that fans Shazam, or it's going to be the ones that they're going, oh my God, what's this track? And it's going to be in the comments or the description. And it's going to be like, hey, this is our new track and you can find it on this link. So that's create the big moment and then build off that is what artists should be doing right now. And I think that's what artists are doing when they're touring because they're playing it in front of a crowd for the first time. And then maybe they'll have a microphone. If they don't, it's going to be on the social media in the morning. The fans wake up and go, here's my new single. You guys got to hear it first. So like use what you'd normally do in a club where you'd premiere your new music, but do it on the platform now like YouTube because you're going to go from zero to 10,000 if you've got the right following. So that's kind of create the content that you think is going to treat it like a club, but go online. So yeah, I think like that's that. where a lot of them should be focusing. And then, like, I think too many of what they a lot of them are doing is they're not using Twitter. They all think that they have to use the same content on Twitter as they're doing on Facebook, which is just a raw clip. It's not. You can create conversation and get a million reach on Twitter by just talking to people. You don't even need to market yourself. You just need to engage with your fans or do ask me anything. Or, and they can do that. And then they can go, oh, You've an I've answered your question. By the way, my new single's here on Spotify. So you've asked un answered their question. You've engaged with them. They get that dopamine hit. Of like, oh my God, Tiesto replied to me on Twitter. How exciting. Uh -huh. Then they get the, hey, come and listen to my new music tweet. And then that's where you can market. Yeah, I mean, there's so much opportunity for connection. And I think that's something that COVID is really showing, which is like at every level, like you're saying with live streams and everything, I mean, there's a level of engagement that just can't be had in other mediums, whether it's live touring or, I mean, radio is a great example. It's such a one-way street, but just just someone saying, just having their favorite artist just say, oh, hey, thanks, or responding, answering questions, that yeah. changes someone from being maybe a casual fan maybe not even their favorite artist, but a casual fan and a super fan. And yeah. that goes such a long way. So if this is the kind of stuff you would do then for your clients, you'd be helping guide them. And now you also have a course that you're working on that I know you have, like, I think you just, did you hit 
you're around nine or so uh, uh brand new members right socially sound as a membership platform i had launched soft launched it off the back of a webinar last sunday mm-hmm. and i sent an email out i during the webinar i put my email address and web um page and goes basically if you're interested come and join my waiting list and then everybody who got the waiting list got an invitation in an automation the morning afterwards and that over the week i got say six out of nine converted which is like great so obviously it was only a small webinar where only a few people watched me but that nine nine people six people that came in generated me like 500 600 pounds just from a click so like that's the whole build once sell twice mentality now this workshops that i'm launching i don't want to put the workshops live yet because i only have 10 paying members so mm-hmm. i'm feeding them to marketers or to djs and going hey do this for me come back with some feedback and then when it's perfect and hopefully i have 100 members then i can launch it to 100 people and then i get that they get that they know that they're coming in as the first 100 people and it's like they are my now my super fans i'm going to look after them i'm going to send them merch when i can afford to send it to them and yeah i'm building like a loyalty platform of the 100 the first 100 will literally be remembered forever and my first member matt I literally like looked at, I, he can, I did a webinar with him. I was like, literally the first thing I said to him was like, I am so grateful because you are always going to be the first member of Socially Sound. Mm-hmm. Like no one could take that away from you or me. And I've had this moment and you've got this moment. I'm going to look after you and I want to help build you. Yeah, the level uh, of connection there is just so much deeper than, yeah. I mean, because it's not, I think people miss out on what business is. Because it's not just faceless customers. I mean, like it is, it's people are buying into connection. They're buying into whether it's a personality, a brand that they, that resonates with them or like one-on-one, like someone, like we have a platform called Built and we sell WordPress themes, help people build their businesses. That's where this podcast sort of goes out. And we don't, we have fans. I, I hate to say fans, like people that respect us. Customers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loyal, loyal customers, and that didn't. But that didn't happen before the sale. That they like what we're doing. They found what we're doing. But it's happening after because everything I do, everything we do as a company, my business partner and I, it's behind the scenes. So customer support yeah. is where I connect with people. That's my opportunity to really invest and be like, yeah, you give us a hundred bucks, but I'm here to make sure you succeed. Like no matter what that means. And that doesn't always happen, unfortunately. And I think people really miss that boat, focusing all on acquisition, but not on the actual customer once they've purchased. Yeah. So I think at the moment I've got 10 members, 10 pay members. I'm only charging 70 English pounds for the year, for the whole year, because I know my market. I know a lot of people are struggling. And basically, if I can bring in my first hundred, the math puts me at seven thousand, and my outgoings are two hundred a month. That's it, and that's nice. paying a web designer. So, like, I've got a couple of platforms that I'm paying for, um, which I'm using Mighty Networks for my coursing, my workshops, and my articles, and then I'm using um, Slack for my community. Even though Slack's kind of new to a lot of people, it's where I live. And I've tried, I tried Discord and I tried Facebook groups and I was just like, I, I'm not feeling it. Whereas I go into Slack and it was built in five minutes and I was like, right, this is done. Never need to f- worry about this again. So even though it might be new to my, mo- like new people, my tagline is I'm helping you, like uh, helping artists think like marketers 1% more each day. And that's on like a James that. Clear book mm-hmm. because too many of the, I call them bro marketers. They're selling a lifestyle to you. They're not like they're coming in and going, get how lose 10 pounds in a week or make a hundred thousand dollars in your first month. And it's like one month, one hundred thousand dollars. There's no like whereas I'm going one percent each day. Mm-hmm. And if you can learn one percent each day, I'm giving you something every day. And if that means that you could don't come into my community for three days, cool. But you've learned that one percent and you might come back to me and go, hey. That 1% has just got me five sales or five downloads or I've sold merch. And that might be what they now go, right, double in, go, go and run, go and do that again every single day and then come back to me in a month. And then you tell me what you've learned. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, 
So I'm giving them because the, it is cheap. It is 70 pounds. I'm not sitting down with you and go, right, here's a spreadsheet. Here's what you're going to do every day. Where I charge a thousand pounds a month for that kind of thing. I'm giving them low value price, low value, but I'm helping them with 1%. Exactly. I'm not, like I'm not going and going, yep, this is 500 pounds a month and you need to pay this through this. I'm going, here's 1%. Go and make yourself 20% R- return of investment. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're learning the 1% themselves just by me giving them 1%. Yeah, and, and it compounds. Like people, yeah, we look I, at like sort of the I grand scheme. I never, I compounds was a word that never really meant a lot to me until I started following visualized value. And I started to see the word, how Jack was compounding everything. And then I follow Stephen Bartlett a lot. And he's like, basically he owns Social Chain, which is one of the biggest social media platforms in the world. And he's basically from Manchester, college dropout, 26 millionaire. And like... <laughs> His story is so resentable because you've seen, I've followed him for years and I've seen him do it. Whereas all these Facebook ads that pop up, I don't know anything about you and I'm not just going to click on your ad. I go into their funnels because this is one of my quickest marketing hacks. I go into their funnels. I go up to their webinars. I don't attend. And then I see what they do afterwards. Mm -hmm. I want to see what happens if I sign up to your webinar, but I don't come and buy from you. What do you do then? How are you going to market to me so I do come back? That's what I love about this. This is my biggest free marketing hack. Yeah, that's track. really smart. And that's something like it's listening to what someone says versus watching what someone does. And yeah. there's so much we can learn from seeing how people act, even if even if it isn't the say the industry even that applies directly to us, seeing yeah. how they're treating their customers, what they're doing like the funnel, how they bring people in, how they nurture them. When he said, when they're not a paying customer and all of that, there's so much to learn. Like, I love that you do that. That's, it's brilliant. It's and free, right? It's, it's free. absolutely free. Yeah. And I think like there's a, a marketing queen. I call her a marketing queen because she's literally the queen of email marketing, Amy Porterfield. Mm-hmm. And I've been in her funnel for years and I downloaded her course because I'm not going to lie. Someone sent it to me. So I got her <laughs> course. But I got, that's how I learned how to build a course. And I saw what she does. I saw how she's pre-recorded a webinar. So you sign up to that webinar for free. She runs the webinar every day or three times a week at five and six, and maybe does different time zones for New York and LA. Um, But she does the webinar. It's all pre-recorded and don't know how she answers questions at the end, whether she's doing them like what she wants to answer because she knows you're thinking it because she's been doing it for this long um so i don't know if that's live or not but i watched it and i was like right why am i doing personal one-to-one calling when i can do a video talk you through my whole business make you feel like i'm talking to you live and then you get an email offer at the end if you watch it or and I learned what she does and I've been in her funnel for about a year now and I've not bought anything from her. I've not spent a penny from her other than giving her my email address, but I've learned so much from what she does, how she does a, a bonus offer or how she goes, if you stay to the end, I'm going to give you this one-time offer that's going to be valid for an hour. And if after that time zone gone, you're not going to get the offer. And it's like brilliant. Mm-hmm. Exactly what people should be doing. Cause it's like, Imagine if DJs could go, right, I'm going to do a live stream to you because you've got your email address and everybody that stays until the end, sign up to this platform and I'll give you some free music. Yeah, it's and it doesn't cost them anything. There's right? no added cost whatsoever. It's something that, I'd, in no matter the vertical, I mean, it's such a valuable thing to consider. Yeah. Um, so you said you, you started building your paying customers off the back of a webinar. Um, yeah. How did you bring? How did you get people to the webinar point? Since you're starting from the ground floor on on this so I version. Spoke on a conference. What was that? Uh, spoke on a conference. Mm-hmm. It's the first conference I've ever done. Um, kind of winged it. I'm not gonna lie. I was nervous. Didn't know how many people were watching. Um, but I put my website at the beginning, saying, "Look, if you sign up here at the beginning, let's see how many people do it." And then because I just wanted to know how many people are actually interested in what I'm talking about, my title is how to like build a content strategy. And I basically showed them 
a, a marketing funnel from the basic beginning to the end. And I used an example of like, right, you're driving down the highway and you see the yellow M. And that McDonald's tells you there's a McDonald's in about 200 yards. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm hungry. So DJs can use that like in a Facebook event. It's going, hey, I'm playing this play festival. And then in that Facebook event, they get to click interested or going. And it shows you how interested somebody is. And it's like, right, so attention is the event, the artwork, the branding. And then the interested bit is clicking going or clicking buy ticket. And all of a sudden they've gone from interest to attention into interest into desire. And all of a sudden they're on the website and all of a sudden that festival's taken 500 euros, $500. And that's literally how quickly you could go from marketing for. But then I also showed them a case study of an artist who I got marketed by and I loved what she did. She did a music, a block, like a guest mix for a music platform, which is called Diggers Directory. And that Diggers Directory is someone that I'm very, I've been in their funnel. I've read a lot of their articles. I trust them. So whenever they send me an email saying either has done this mix, I'll listen because it's where I find new music or it's where I discover new artists, right? I don't have to go through Instagram all the time to find these artists because I've got this mailing list that sends me it every week. Um, so what I did is I showed them how that press article or that interview or that mix did and how I went from being click on the newsletter to click on a mix, listen to it an hour, going on to her Instagram, following her and commenting, saying, what a great mix. And I just showed you how simple that is. And that's an hour. And that's how you can get a fan from doing a guest mix. And that's what you should be shooting for. So I showed them that. And then they were all like, a lot of people go on conferences and try and sell something, right? Mm-hmm. I just went on there and said, look, I have a course. This is one chapter in the course. If you want to come and join it, join my mailing list. And I got nine people, I think, and six converted. So yeah. pretty good. I mean, and that's great. So then did you use your contacts to be a part of that conference? Was it something that was sort of from your network? Yeah, my network. He was actually the first ever boss I had in Ibiza, a 19-year-old kid. And what they were doing back then, which they sure wouldn't be allowed to get away with now, is they took the passports from you. When you landed or you got the job, they were like, right, because it's obviously cash, you're getting cash from ticket people on the streets and then you're keeping it, you take it to the promoters and then you hand that in. And then they get wristbands when they're giving the money away. So like, it's weird. It's weird. It's not like this was a long time ago, like 10 years ago, but he was my first ever boss. And now he runs a DJ Academy and he's, we got back in touch about three years ago. And we've been kind of like, when I first got in touch with him, he wanted me to work for him. And I wasn't at his level. He was speaking. I was like, yeah, I can do retargeting. And then it was like, he he told me what he wanted me to do. And I was like, (laughs) I'm not there yet. Whereas now I am. And he got back in touch. We got back in touch maybe three months ago, four months ago. And I showed him what I wanted to do and what I, my idea was. And it was like, great idea. So why don't you come and speak at my conference? And then you can launch off the back of it. Yeah, uh, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and that's the thing. That's the value of network and maintaining relationships. No, there's never a need to burn bridges and things. It's so valuable to have people who know, like, and trust you. I mean, that's really what we're going for as like say as a marketer, but also in personal relationships. I mean, that's, that's everything as a business. That's what we end up doing. Like 100% of our client work has been word of mouth. Like we've never, never done any sales. We don't, we don't do really social media. We help people do theirs, but we're not the ones like publicly facing other than the podcast, which is relatively new now. Um, You know where, where you hit, right? You know that a podcast is probably going to get you more attention and awareness because you're delivering an hour's worth of content Whereas you could post, yeah, I'm going to do this. This is what you do on social. And that might get you 20 likes and an email address. And it's just like, you know what's more valuable to you. Like with my socials on Twitter, I've done four tweets, I think. And my personal social is where I want to build it. And then when I know what social sound is 100%, I'm going to go all in on Twitter. But right now I'm kind of still working on a lot of things. I'm not ready for Twitter to see all of it yet. So kind <laughs> yeah, of just and- like, I want to dive into Twitter a little bit because um, like I found you because of your Twitter threads and um, you mentioned the one that went sort of viral. I actually think I saw one after that, which was the first, my first introduction to what you're doing. Um, I'd love to hear you sort of explain a bit like about Twitter threads and the value that you see in writing them. 
So I don't know if you follow marketing examples. Do you follow Harry Dry? No, I don't. So website, their website is amazing, right? Okay. It's a one-man band. He does a case study every week. And as a music marketer in February, I discovered a Twitter thread where Harry listed the rise of Little Nas X, who is a rapper. And basically, when he was like 19, he was dropped out of college. He started doing Twitter memes. And I learned his story through a Twitter thread. And obviously, as someone who's written a lot of articles and I've done traditional music media and magazines or online, I've never seen music magazines use Twitter in the way Harry did. And I was just like, light bulb, which is one my 1%, right? And mm -hmm. funnily enough, like Harry's marketing example's logo is a light bulb and that thread began with a light bulb. So that's where my light bulb comes from of 1% each day. So I'm my like inside the workshops that I'm building and what I'm putting on my website is socially sound, 1% each day, 1% light bulb. That's all come from that Twitter thread, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that I took, when I went and pitched for the job that I told you about where I went into the festival, I showed them Harry's thread. And I was like, this is what your brand should be doing on your own personal Twitter. But then this is what festivals should be doing. And I showed them what marketing festivals are doing. But then obviously that job when didn't really happen because I was furloughed for four months. So in July, when I started to really put together a plan of what I was going to do, I call it finding my voice. And this came from a socially sound platform that exists in America. And she helps people find her voice. So that was what I found from her website when I went stalking and go, right, what domains can I buy? What can I get? Um, so it came from my first Twitter strategy was how do I find my voice? Because I tweeted four times in a, a year, I think. <laughs> I was spectating on Twitter until July. And then I got the confidence to go, right, social media managers live on Twitter. They're the people that I'm following. Let's talk about my experience in social media and why I've never grown my own personal following, which relates to a lot of social media managers because they're so busy building other people's dreams. They, they're knackered <laughs> and they haven't yeah. got time for their own Twitter. So I did a thread on that and that was where I started to get followers from the US or Europe. And there's not many people in the UK that follow me, which is weird. Oh, interesting. But, um, so my Twitter, I realized because I was actually tweeting to American voices, I didn't do anything on Twitter from nine till six because LA or New York wasn't really awake or working until them times for me. Mm -hmm. So I started connecting with a couple of people on Twitter and realized I connected with a guy named Jamie Russo and we were both at very similar levels. He was building a product. I was building a product. We were both following Jack Butcher, David Perel. And we like David Perel did this thing as like, right, was a task for his audience write your business manifesto. So me and Jamie set up a Word document. He wrote his, I wrote mine, and we reviewed each other's. And so my Twitter connections went from being, I wasn't too bothered about how many followers I got. I was finding people at my level who I could speak to in a DM, rather than just going out there and finding them. They just came to me off this one article that I wrote about what I learned about Twitter. And as I mentioned, that got read in 15 different countries. It, like it got like a thousand likes in general and it was like 14 tweets and what i discovered off the back of that tweet thread was it's like short and long form content combined right and the more you fill someone's iphone screen the more they're going to pay attention to you which is where i've tried to take them a little bit and i don't write threads as much as i should because i'm a bit ocd about them they have to be <laughs> formatted right and I don't just want to be the guy that's knocking out threads. I'm not Joe yeah. Pompolano, whoever you say his name, who's just awesome at threads. I'm just not that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just discovered. So my knee, it went from, my, I didn't think I had a niche until, or however you say, how do you say niche in America? Uh, it really depends where you're from here. So I always say niche, but niche is, yeah. is very common. <laughs> so I'll go with niche because it's more natural to me. Um, mm. It was, it became, my thing became how to unclean, how you cleanse your Twitter feed. And as I mentioned, I unfollowed 3,000 Twitter people, followers so that I could literally feel like my Twitter profile was breathing. I wanted to go on Twitter and physically enjoy being on Twitter 
because it was making me angrier than going on. I was going online normal and coming off angry, and then I was taking it out on my girlfriend, and that's not cool. That's oh, yeah. when I, like, like, obviously, everything that was going on in the world, the worse it got, the, the peak of the UK, and I was just like, I've got to do something about this. I've got to, like... And that became my thing. It became how to uncleanse your Twitter feed and what signals you should look for in your, how you're acting offline. So if you come on Twitter, are you seeing something that you're spending an hour engaging with and disagreeing? Or are you going and finding Jack Butcher to show you these beautiful marketing images about how you can build one cell twice? And it was like, right, I know what I want to do now. And that was basically my Twitter. And I think... With Twitter in the last six weeks, I've come off the pla- I've come off the platform a little bit because I was building. Mm-hmm. Now I'm ready to come back on the platform to show you what I've been building. And I think you have to go through that. I think you have to find the inspiration. You have to take what you take out of it and then come away from it and then come back. Whereas and you can't live on the platform because if you're not ever going out and doing something, what do you have to talk about? Exactly. You're not applying anything that you're learning. The people that do like 300, like a thousand tweets a month, I just don't understand how they have the time. Yeah. I, I peaked at like 350 in September, I think, or August. I was like, wow, I've been on this platform a lot. Mm-hmm. And then other people were sharing analytics. And I was like, wow, you've done a thousand tweets or you've done 3000 tweets. And I'm like, how? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so to swing back to threads for a second, I mean, a thread is essentially maybe half a dozen or a dozen tweets lumped together. Um, So it's like a a short form article. How do you, um, what's sort of, where do you see the difference coming in? Because with with the main one you're talking about, you outlined an article essentially, and then you fed people to it on the last tweet, correct? Yeah. So then how do you approach that? You have to write the article first. (laughs) Yeah. Then you have to take the key sentences and then you have to put them in the thread so it makes sense. So a lot of articles in the way SEO wants you to do is you have to do a subtitle, right? To have better SEO. Mm-hmm. So I look at the subtitle as what the next tweet is. Summarize the paragraph in a tweet sentence, move someone onto the next thread, move someone onto the next tweet. That's how I've done it. I don't know any, I, I, as I said, Harry, Harry for marketing examples is the king of threads from articles. He's building a newsletter from threads and I tried to replicate what he was doing because I saw the way he was formatting and I saw the way he was like numbering his tweets and I saw the way Matt Kobach uses bullet points and I think the bullet points become the most used thing on Twitter now <laughs> from the back of like how to format a tweet. So yeah, I format it and I actually write my tweets out into Evernote first and then I'll copy them into Twitter so the character limits hit and then I'll go back to Evernote and edit it. I learned that from David Perel. He's he's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think people think of Twitter as just this. I'm going to jump on, throw something out there, and, and I'm done. But there's a big investment, an upfront investment to do it well. And yeah. I think that's it's very important. So I've become a, a better writer of Twitter because oh, yeah. the character limit makes you get rid of words that you don't need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's this built-in editor. It's making sure that like you you need to self-edit. That's a big part of writing. But then having having um, restrictions always helps. Having it fit in sort in some sort of system is really yeah. beneficial. So, what does a typical day look like for you currently as you're building? Building takes priority, and I try and do building from nine till two. Mm-hmm. I'll check in with my clients at the beginning of the day and tell them what's happening today or if they've got any questions. And then I always try and do a weekly. I don't do any meetings before two o'clock unless someone physically goes, can I do it early? If they go early, then I'm like, okay, really early. Not 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock in my day, like really early, nine, 9.30, get it done. Send the email off afterwards and then you're done with them. Um, so, but then client takes over because you normally post socially with artists peak time, five, 6 PM. So that becomes a lot more centric after two. So with building comes first. And then because I'm addicted to building, probably eat dinner after that and then probably build. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the entrepreneurial life. You just, you're in it. You get, you're excited to keep going and you want to see where you can take it. 
I um, find I'm better in the evenings because in the in when you work and you're living in your email box or your inbox and you're living on Slack or WhatsApp communicating with people, you actually get more work done at 9 p.m. afterwards because all the distractions are gone. And I set myself up. I think I'd rather do 12, 9 than do 9, 5. Or yeah, for sure. That's 12, how I am through and through. I mean, it's 2 p.m. here when we started this chat. It's yeah. This is the first thing I'm doing today. I really, I'm more of a afternoon, evening kind of person. Like that's just, it's always been my peak time. I think it's important for people to see, like we don't have to, especially when we're entrepreneurs and we're outside of the normal work system, we don't mm -hmm. have to check the box of like, oh, I'm going to be a morning person because these people are, and I respect these people. I think it's important mm -hmm. to, to figure out what works for us, like as, as our, the unique humans we are. So yeah. before, um, I don't want to take too much of your time today, but what would you wish that you knew if you were to rewind maybe even just a year, two years, what's something that you would go back and tell yourself to maybe do differently or to learn that, w that you feel would have benefited sooner in your journey? I wish I discovered build once, sell twice two years ago three years ago because the biggest problem when you're like working with clients is you have to chase invoices i wish i'd have learned that courses and workshops and you can put everything that you know into something once and then i wouldn't have had to go through the last two years which mm -hmm. have been rough um and i wish that i learned that i've started to treat my business as an e-commerce product because when you kind of, and I wish I took Twitter more seriously two or three years ago, because who knows what I would have found then? Who knows what these built, like maybe it would have been, instead of being visualized value that's offered me this, maybe I would have found it sooner, but you're meant to find things at the right time, right? But yeah, I wish I'd found that and I wish I'd treated myself more as a product because when you hire a one-man band freelancer, they're hiring you for your skill and your what you offer them. You're not hiring an agency that can go, right, head of design, head of brand, head of this, head of that. It's a one person thing. And I wish I took myself more seriously. And I, I, for example, before Socially Sound, my previous business ran for five years and it didn't even have a name. Oh, really? It was me. It was just, I just put, used to put my invoices on Julie's social. It was never, I never had a website. I never had a Facebook page. I never had a Twitter page, anything for it. And a life coach I spoke to when I said to you I was having a bit of a dark time, that this is the best advice I've ever been given. It's helped me a lot. She was like, I've gone onto your Instagram and I know your girlfriend's name before your business name. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Leveled. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, where a lot, that's where I was at on my own social. I was sharing more stuff I was doing with my girlfriend or our dog or where we went on holiday. I wasn't going, right, I've just done this artist. I got him to the top of the charts. This is how I did it. I wasn't doing that. And that's what I wish I would have been doing a few more years ago because I think I'd be in a different place now. Mm. And I wish that, like, I le you learn more from other businesses outside of where you work when you start looking. And I started to look at what e-commerce products were doing with influencers because it was seriously working. So... How can I create a product like a course that I can sell and wake up every day knowing I'm selling that course rather than thinking, how am I going to get another DJ to the top of the charts? That's what I wish I'd have learned two years ago. And that's what I would say to my 19-year-old self, go into e-commerce marketing, not over marketing, because I think that's the way you learn marketing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the build one, sell twice is the path because we only have so many hours in our days and when you're doing the one-on-one -on -one work with clients directly you are yeah. absolutely always going to be limited so this is great thanks for doing this um bef before we sign off where should we send people to check out everything you're up to um i'm gonna plug my personal socials because i've been come to andrew lee's 89 on instagram and twitter don't find me on Facebook. I, I don't use it anymore. <laughs> um, socially Sound DJ, same platforms, Twitter and Instagram. And then the Socially Sound DJ website might be out by the time this podcast is published. If not, awesome. just follow me on Twitter and I'll, find, I'll send you the link. Yeah, awesome. Sounds good. So 
thanks again for all this. This is great. And we'll pleasure, mate. chat again soon. Really absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Andrew for joining me on this episode. You can find him on Twitter at AndrewLease89 and also at Socially Sound DJ. You'll find all those links in the show notes. As always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. At Built, we help you get started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to Built.co. That's B-Y-L-T.co to get started. Built, your website, built for you, simply. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the video version of the show on YouTube. You'll find all of the links for this episode at built.co slash 018. Well, that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I'll see you next time.